The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Part of why I made it so absurd was I have not seen many discussions on race approached from the absurdist point of view of Black authors. Like, there aren't many Black novelists who write absurdist text, period. And then there aren't many absurdist novels, Black authors who write absurdist text about race. So I wanted it to be this thing that functioned very differently and very unexpectedly. Greetings, scribes, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you wisdom, words, and wherewithal per usual. New York Times bestselling author Jason Ma took a time out to talk with me about the high wire act of building hell of a book, talking about race in America, and I'm not working with Brad Pitt. Jason's the author of The Returned, a New York Times bestseller that was turned into a TV series that ran for two seasons. His fourth novel is titled Hell of a Book and described as a funny and honest work of fiction that goes to the heart of racism, police violence, and the hidden costs exacted upon black Americans and America as a whole. The book's been named to dozens of must-read lists for 2021, including Entertainment Weekly, The New York Post, Good Morning America, USA Today, and many others. Charles Yu, author of National Book Award winner Interior Chinatown, called hell of a book playful searching raw and necessary jason has a bfa in fiction and an mfa in poetry both from the university of north carolina at wilmington and his poetry and fiction have appeared in various literary journals in this file jason and i discussed what it's like to write a book in your head for a decade why he dared to dream to become a writer how to build a technically complex novel draft by draft his study and love of film noir, and why writers need to be nicer to themselves. Stay calm and write on. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published, and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to be joined by a special guest. I have New York Times bestselling novelist, author extraordinaire, Jason Mott is on the line today. How are you today, Jason? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'm excited to talk about all the things and dig into your um, writing process and this fantastic new novel, Hell of a Book. And uh, 
Yeah. Um, how are you feeling uh, uh, kind of at the uh, outset of this new tour, given the, the meta um, kind of subject matter? <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good, actually. Um, you know, the book tours are very weird and surreal things, but they also can be a lot of fun at times. So right now, like I'm like two weeks into the book tour and I'm actually enjoying it. It's, it's pretty fun so far. Okay, good, good. Any highlights thus far? Any Or any weirdness so far? No. <laughs> so much of this book tour has been over Zoom. So this has been an almost exclusively digital book tour. Yeah. So the weirdness is only technical on the technical side, like just weird technical stuff. Other than that, it's been pretty, pretty tame, which is, which is good. I like tame. Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe a few ghosts in the machine, but, um, we can also talk about the, uh, meta nature of that, but yeah, uh, let's roll back the clock as we do dig into your superhero origins, um, as a writer. <laughs> and it's a pretty, pretty amazing story. We joke a lot about, about, the 10 year overnight success on this show with authors. And it's always like, ha ha ha. But um, yeah, it's like you've, you burst onto the scene, but you, you'd been writing and toiling. And, and, you know, I understand you've got this um, fantastic background of poetry, which obviously comes out in the writing, but yeah, go turn the clock back a little bit and give us the, the short version of um, this amazing story of how you became this New York times bestselling author. Yeah, sure. Um, it's definitely the, you know, it's a, it's a long winding road. So when I was about my early 20s, like 21 or 22, um, my mother passed away really suddenly. And before that, I you know, had ideas of wanting to be a writer, but never really got serious about it. So when she passed away, I suddenly got really serious about it. I said, you know, I want to focus on the thing I love in life, which is writing and pursue that. So I quit this job that I had and I went to school, um, spent a few years in school. I did an undergraduate degree in fiction and then a graduate degree in poetry and I left there and I went to answer phones at a call center for a cell phone company because that's what you do with a poetry degree in this country. Um, right. So <laughs> I worked there for four years, published a couple of poetry collections and just kind of, you know, hated the job, but was always writing in the meantime. So while I was there, I yeah. wrote this manuscript, which eventually became went on to become The Returned. And then I, you know, got Fortunate, found an agent, sold that, became a best-selling author overnight, which is a really weird process. Um, but it took about 10 years for that overnight success to kind of happen, <laughs> like you said. Yeah, um, it's interesting kind of how, you know, you, you blend fantasy and reality in the latest. But you talk a little bit about that kind of in, you know, in your bio and the materials running up to the launch of the book. You've talked about kind of what was going on in your life and what led to the genesis of hell of a book where you'd been cooking up this novel in your head for like a decade. Right. And then mm -hmm. the, you know, kind of, kind of the importance, um, and the relevance of what was happening with kind of the social justice movement bled into your bled into your fiction and then became, you know, so talk about, talk about this very interesting meta piece. Yeah, sure. So kind of like you said, like it started, the, you know, this book, the seed for this book began when I was on tour for The Returned. And even before that, when I was kind of being introduced to the publishing side of life, um, it was such a bizarre, wacky, surreal process that at the end of that tour, I knew I wanted to write a story about an author on book tour. And, you know, no one's really, none of my, my agent or editor, no one's really excited about it. And so I wrote this manuscript that wasn't really good, if I'm honest about it. It was, it was missing something. I'll say that about it. Mm -hmm. and then you fast forward to, you know, about three years ago and 
I got overwhelmed by the news, quite frankly. Like, you know, just that that moment of so many police shootings, so many reports, so many just, you know, no charges being oppressed and like so many injustices that had, and I realized that this is something I've been dealing with my entire life and became really frustrated and wanted to write about it. So I started writing just about my life experiences in regard to race and my thoughts on it. And at some point my brain said, well, remember that story about the author on book tour? How about you take that and combine it into this and just tell a really honest version of what you feel about these things. And that's kind of where this came from. It, it, it became this meta project just mm-hmm. because it was me trying to trying to talk to myself in a certain sense, trying to figure out so many things about my life of as a black male in America and my life as a writer. Well, the work has been lauded, and, and congratulations on all of the uh, all the press and, and reviews. Um, it seems like it's on every book list <laughs> uh, imaginable. Um, can't miss it. So listeners hell of a book is not hard to find um of course we'll link to that in your home base there jasonmottauthor.com and of course i misspoke when i said resurrection because that was the tv series um Mm -hmm. that the return became um and i kind of conflated the two but you worked with brad pitt's production company to do a couple seasons of that adaptation. What was that uh, experience like? Was that kind of surreal in and of itself? Yeah, it was It was very surreal and fun. Um, and I, I actually, I, I did nothing for the show. I want to I say that. Like the show was really great. And they, they there's a showrunner named Aaron Zellman, who was kind of the man behind it all. Um, he was a great guy. Like I actually, I met him a few times and hung out with him and went to LA and met him a few times. And he was a really welcoming, friendly guy who, read the novel, fell in love with it, and just had this vision for how we could do, how I could do a TV series off of it. And so it was great because, again, the cast was was great. They filmed in Atlanta. I'm in North Carolina. So I would drive down there sometimes and just hang out, like not try to do anything. I would just drive down and watch them film scenes and talk to the cast and, you know, have dinner with Aaron and the gang. And it was such a fun process where, like, I got to be part of this family that was developing this idea that I had and just fleshing it out on their own terms. And so it's, it was unlike anything else I'd kind of experienced. It was really, really great. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction, And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders, 
And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. So let's talk about um, hell of a book before we kind of dig into to more of how it was created, just kind of from a, uh, you know, from a, a creativity standpoint, but talk about, uh, you know, kind of, you've talked a little bit about your feelings. You describe it almost like a psychological or emotional dissonance that occurred because as you mentioned, you know, kind of the, the narrators is of the book is the author, but then there's also this kind of symbolism behind Soot, this character um, that's also obviously prominent in the book, but yeah, talk talk a little bit about this amalgamation, kind of the genesis of um, also soot and that, and that symbolism. Yeah, sure. Um, so there are three, you know, three main characters in the novel. There's the author, there's the kid, and then there's soot. And the three characters tend to overlap at times. And there are, there are moments when as readers, you're, you know, readers will oftentimes ask themselves, is this, are these all the same person? Are these two characters the same? Or are these two other characters the same? What about like, how do these all fit together? And so that came out of a few different places for me creatively in terms of the writing side of things. Um, the author components obviously very clearly come from my, you know, my, my life as an author. And there's some things that are pulled directly from that. But also for both this, both Soot and the kid, um, there's a lot of my personal stories put into those characters. So for me, writing this story was very much a, you know, one of the, one of the, the cliche, not, I don't say cliche because that makes it sound bad, but like one of the, <laughs> the most traditional writing workshops is a letter to your younger self. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back, how would you talk to yourself and what things would you tell yourself? This novel unexpectedly sort of became that for me. It became this place where I was both writing to myself now, but also addressing myself in, in, in this younger form and trying to explain to it the, the reality that I learned in the years that had passed from being a kid to being now and how mm-hmm. to navigate that and how to deal with that. And because there's a lot of pain and loss and a lot of things that occur. And so for me, writing those three identities all kind of make up who I am. And yet at the same time, they're all very distinct and very different and they aren't really who I am at times. So I think that readers will come across, kind of come across that, but that, that is some of the, the, the meaning behind those three personalities. Like they are, they are all me and yet they are all different identities as well. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Um, well, I mean, you know, a lot of these things kind of jump off the page, but I think as a writer too, they resonate. Um, you know, as a young man being a prodigy, you, you quote, a prodigy of mediocrity, um, I think Sit describes himself um, in every sentence ending in an adverb as a young, as a young writer, or, or <laughs> is this the, or am I conflating this with the author's uh, bio? I think I am. <laughs> I can't keep them straight. Um, no, that, that's, that is, that is a little bit intentional. That is more than, more than a little bit intentional, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm trying. I don't. I don't want to explain too much because that conflation no. is very intentional. Like 
the yeah. I wanted the novel to be this place because again, the main character in the novel is this character who struggles to delineate between reality and, and imagination. Like for him, there isn't much of a difference. And he's kind of learned to accept that. And so I wanted to mirror that a bit with the readers so that readers will come to the story and really wonder about which parts were the author, which parts were the kid, which parts were soot. And where do, where do, where's, where's the unification occur? And does it, do they unify? Are they the same? So like, mm-hmm. there is very meticulous, you know, exacting moments there where like, I said, this will cause the reader to wonder and confuse a few things here and there with the other characters. And that's intentional. Like, so that conflation of things is very, very okay. That's like, what you're supposed to be feeling. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's what works about it. And I think, um, you know, a good book obviously kind of pulls you into the dream and you feel as if you are the the dreamer and the dreamt or whatever, whatever that um, saying is. But yeah, so the daydreaming problem, I think, is something that a lot of writers feel kind of, uh, you know, if they're compelled to to take on something as daunting as a novel, but talk a little bit about the the challenge of this particular piece, and and you know, you, I think you described it as kind of something that you had to build, and then of course you're building in this important message, and and talk a little bit about the building piece, and then talk a little bit about kind of what you want readers to take away, and if it's you know if it's obviously it's going to be subjective, but you know I think. There is something very, uh, there is a very important underlying message here. Um, and obviously everybody's going to have their own interpretation. So the building component was definitely, uh, this is definitely the most the most technically complex novel that I've written. Um, and it doesn't mean it's, it's technically complex for a reader to read. I think it, uh, hopefully it reads very fluidly. Mm-hmm. Um, but making that fluidity occur for the reader was, it was very difficult to build. Um, there was so much of trying to make very different and, you know, very abstract things tie together thematically and trying to lead your, your, your reader through certain moments. And there were times when I had to decide, am I going to lead them through this on a cognitive, logical component of A leads to B leads to C, or do I want to lead them through this by their gut? Like, is this just an emotional leading moment where like, They'll, they'll read one thing, but their, their heart and their emotions are going to tell them that these things are paired together. And this is how you lead them through this next section. So that was very challenging. Um, the dialogue, you know, for the, the, the author in the novel is in love with film noir. He speaks like a film noir character. So Uh that took a lot of technical kind of, you know, study of like, cause I personally am a huge fan of film noir. Like I love the genre because of its use of language. Yeah. And so from a language component, that was very technical and very difficult to kind of read out because again, trying to repeat that cadence on the page, you know, film noir is, you know, is, is something that affects the ear. Like it's, it's film primarily. There are noir novels, but we think of it as a film genre. And so trying to mirror that for the reader on the page and yet not them, not have them get confused or pushed out by it because it is such a different kind of form of language. That was another building component that I had to work through. And you tie that together with, you know, separate story arcs are things real are they not it was just such a challenge to build creatively um that it it was fun though that's part of what made it fun honestly like i enjoyed seeing how it was becoming more complex from a writing standpoint and the challenge of trying to build this very complex thing but have Mm -hmm. it read very simply where readers could just kind of come to it and flow through and not hit 
not hit walls of, of confusion. So that was very difficult. You know, I think I want to ask about the editing process, but I want sure. you to continue your train of thought on it so I don't interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um, yeah, editing, <laughs> editing took a long time. Um, you know, as editing often oftentimes takes a while, but for this one, editing was a long, meticulous point in the process because again, there were so many callbacks and so many things that if, you know, if I, if I leave this scene as it is, it's going to definitively answer this question. Do I want that to be the thing that gets answered? Do I want to have that definitive moment here or do I want to blur the lines? Like where do you blur and smudge things out and where do you sharpen things for people to really tie on to? So editing involved going back through and specifically editing for content. Like I would do a draft where I only edit it for language. Like I, I've got to, I've got to nail his film noir kind of, mm. kind of lexicon. Mm-hmm. Am I just, so I would edit just for that. And then I'd have another editing version where it's like, how much do I want these characters to be parallels? How much do I want them to be distinctly different? Should I change this? Like I would go through and only edit for that. So it was a very long, meticulous process. And my agent and my editor, when I finally, you know, when we sold the novel and I got an editor to publisher, you know, it, it was it was challenging for them as well because again, there was such a don't upset the apple crate mentality at times where it's like, well, do we yeah. want to flesh this out more? Do we want to leave it a bit ambiguous? And how does that feel? So it was it was a very it was a bit of a high wire act, um, which again, like that's part of what I love about this novel from a writing standpoint. But it was definitely a bit of a headache at times to work on. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing that you're working on something a little bit simpler now. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Like, I'm working on a book right now that is a little bit simpler. Now, will it stay simpler as progression goes on? I'm not sure. Right. Because, again, like, I, as difficult as this was, it was fun. Like, this was the most fun that I've had working on a novel. And it was definitely the most difficult, like, it was emotionally heavy at times, challenging and like sad to work on at times, but it was by far the most rewarding, fun project I've worked on. So I kind of want to have that feeling a bit more. So I'm not sure how simple the new project is going to stay, but we'll see. That's cool. Um, yeah. I mean, it does seem like you're having fun and then also, um, you know, it's heartbreaking and there are, you know, very important messages and, and yeah. And it was, there, there are so many fun and again, like, there's there's heavy heartbreaking moments, but there are so many fun narratives behind the scenes on this book and also in the book as well. But like, you know, there's without without offering too many spoilers to readers, um, there's one scene in which a a well known actor appears in the novel. Um, I won't it won't spoil the actor or whatever happens <laughs> there. Um, there's a scene and like that scene was that came, that scene came in very late in the process. Like I sent it to my I sent a revision to my agent. And she was like, well, then that scene wasn't there. And um, my agents, there was another scene she wanted to take out. And I kind of didn't want to remove the scene. And she was, she made a good case. She's like, well, this scene needs to go. I said, well, mm-hmm. if that scene goes, I'm adding in a completely absurd scene where this weird actor shows up and the, the main character has an encounter with that character. <laughs> and this, so that's, so there's fun moments like that where it's like, I'm gonna just throw this in here and see if it works. And somehow things worked out. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's interesting because I was going to ask you how you describe the work um, because of, you know, that, you know, there's that like theater of absurd piece. There's some magical realism, if, if you will, or hyperrealism um, moments of hyperbole. But how do you describe the, how do you describe this type of fiction? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think I, I I describe it primarily as um, as absurdist. I think it, it is an absurdist novel. Like that was my goal was to make it absurdist. But as with most absurdist writing, absurdist film, or whatever, like there's usually an underlying current of of realism and you know very grounded because you can't have the absurdity if you don't ground it first, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I would list it as an absurdist novel, but also as a contemporary, you know, almost memoir about race in America. So I think it's really hard to define. And that's, that yeah. was very intentional. I'm glad that it's hard to define, but yeah, I do want it to be, I do want it to be a place where, cause part of, part of why I made it so absurd was I have not seen many discussions on race approached from the absurdist point of view of black authors. Like there aren't hmm. many black novelists who write absurdist text period. And then there yeah. aren't many absurdist novels, black authors who write absurdist texts about race. And so I wanted it to be this thing that functioned very differently and very unexpectedly. Yeah. Do you think, you know, in the discussion of, you know, when we're talking about systematized discrimination or, you know, white supremacy dovetailing into even, um, you know, police violence and racial inequality, do you think that this type of fiction makes it easier for readers who are white to kind of digest this type of material and, and make them or maybe make them less guarded or no i think i, I think i understand what you're saying and like because there, there, there's there's some intentionality in that like what i wanted for the novel was i wanted it to be part of this conversation that america's been having for you know for years and years and years now mm-hmm. but also this contemporary conversation about race in america and my feeling is that this is a very, you know, it's a difficult conversation for a lot of people to enter into, not just white Americans, but I think just there are other demographics as well who don't know how to enter the conversation. They see the conversation happening. They want to understand it better. They want to be a part of that conversation in whatever context, but I think primarily they want to understand it better. And they oftentimes struggle to find the way in. And so what I wanted for a hell of a book was I wanted it to be this place where people who want to know about this topic and could find a, a could find a different approach. I think that part of teaching, you know, I, I teach sometimes well. And the thing about teaching is you have to always tailor your teaching style to the person to be to their receptivity. If they're not receptive to the way that you're teaching, you need to change the way that you're teaching so that they can actually hear the things you're trying to say to them and really have it touch them and have it hit home for them. Yeah. And so, like I said, like there aren't there aren't absurdist comedies that oftentimes deal with race on this kind of level in the novel format. So I wanted it to be that. I wanted to fill that gap. I wanted to be this place where 
if you want to know, you want to have, you want to enter this conversation about race in America and you want to maybe have some laughs along the way and like really absurd things happening and yet still have it be a sincere, honest, true conversation. I think that's what Hell of a Book does. It, it subverts a lot of your expectations on how these conversations can happen. And that was my yeah. goal for it. That's great. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's subverting that expectation. And I think, you know, readers will be less, any reader that's defensive of, or feeling defensive coming into, you know, a conversation about racial inequality and police violence. Yeah, create that, subvert that expectation and give them a, mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. chance to kind of be at least, you know, a party to that conversation, even if they're not participating. Anyway, congratulations on the work. We want to talk a little bit more about writing before we lose you here. But yeah, uh, Charles, you um, had a, a very sweet blurb. You said, playful, searching, raw, and necessary. This writing, this voice, this novel twisted me up and turned me inside out. And I thought um, Book Page put it well when they said, hell of a book is a masterwork of balance. Uh, as Mott navigates the two narratives and their delicate tonal distinctions, a surrealist feat of imagination that's brimming with very real horrors, frustrations, and sorrows. And I, I definitely echo that sentiment, but um, it is a hell of a book. I'm sure you're going to hear that quite a bit. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> you're, you're like, I'm sick of it. Uh, no, <laughs> um, but uh, really, um, before we leave with kind of your advice to your fellow scribes, I wanted to ask you one that we ask um, most authors. Uh, if you could have dinner with any author from any era, uh, at your favorite spot in the world, uh, all expenses paid, of course. Who would you take and where would you take them? Um, I think I would have dinner with probably John Gardner. John Gardner is the author whose novel Grendel hmm. kind of made me want to become a writer. So I would love to kind of sit down and talk with him about writing. And I take him to this. There's a, I'm in North, Southeast North Carolina. There's a little burger joint here called PT's Burgers. They make some of the greatest burgers hmm. and fries on the planet. I think that'd be a perfect place to go. I'd just have John John Gard and I go get some burgers and just talk about writing. I think that'd be a pretty <laughs> good way to spend the day. Nice. And a milkshake. Yeah, huh? exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I could pick your brain about film noir and all these uh, <laughs> fantastic references, but because uh, I know you're a self-proclaimed film junkie. But uh, yeah, I think before we wrap up, maybe just your pearl of wisdom to aspiring scribes who are just, yeah, struggling to make it or, or you know, could use a, um, could use a boost. Yeah. The best, the best advice I would give to, to aspiring writers is be kind to yourself. Um, be as kind to yourself as you would be to someone that you love who, who came to you with their writing. Um, as writers, we're very, we're, we're tyrants to ourselves. We're very brutal and hard on ourselves. And yet we're very delicate to those who come to us. And so be that way to yourself, like be forgiving of your writing, your mistakes and give yourself time to learn. I think that's my biggest piece of advice. I love it. Appreciate you. Appreciate your time and your work. And um, congrats on all the successes. Hopefully you'll come back, visit us again in the future. And uh, oh, is there an adaptation uh, in the works somewhere on some some Jason Mott uh, IPs? Um, <laughs> we'll see. We're in talks with the people right now, so we'll see how things play out. All right. Well, I can't wait to uh, see any of those. So um, again, congrats and stay sane if you can on the book tour. <laughs> Will do. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review. 
to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. 